centurion who uh, Paul was committed to. This guy was named Julius. And embarking, uh, let me say this as well. Uh, you may want to have, if you have one of those cool maps in the back of your Bible that includes the missionary journeys of Paul, this is his final journey. And you'll notice this is a one-way trip to Rome. Uh, so a lot of his journeys go out and come back and go out and come back. This one just goes out. So if you want to kind of keep your finger in Acts 27 and then also look at that map in the back of your Bible of Paul's journeys, um, you'll, you'll be able to chart several of the destinations, several of the places that he goes this morning on that map. Okay, now I'll read verse 2. And embarking in a ship of Adramitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius, the Roman centurion, the, the, the Roman soldier who was over a hundred other men, treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends to be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And if you're following that line through the map there, you can see that they would have gone around the kind of the, the northeast corner there of Cyprus, protecting them from the winds that would have been on the Mediterranean. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria selling, sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmone. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lassay. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. So Paul is saying this, given the time of year that it is, it, this is the stormy season, right? This is the hurricane season, if you will, on the Mediterranean Sea. And Paul's saying, this is, a, this is a bad time. I have a, I have a bad feeling about this. I mean, it's not clear that Paul necessarily had like some kind of direct vision, but it's like Paul's using the, the, the common sense, practical wisdom that just anyone should have. Like, hey, the roads are slick. Don't go out today. <laughs> that kind of wisdom. Uh, let's see, where was I? Uh, verse 11. But the centurion, Julius, paid no more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Julius didn't like the idea of staying there for the winter. Now, when the south wind blew gently... Supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore, right? They kind of got tricked into leaving. They thought, oh, the, the weather's great. They didn't have the weather app on their phone. But soon, a tempestuous wind called a nor'easter struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. And if you look at the journey of Paul now, 
He's just kind of blowing out into the Mediterranean Sea. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. And if you study the commentaries, they talk about, I mean, these, these sailors were using wise uh, maritime um, wisdom to secure, you know, to, to, they literally ran these um, big, uh, like would be cables underneath the hull of the ship to, hold, to, to literally hold the ship together from breaking apart in the waves. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Again, reading the commentaries, all of this is the wisdom of the day of how to survive a, a storm at sea like this. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. That, that's a significant moment in this passage right here. The end of verse 20 is significant. Luke is writing and he's including himself in this group of, of the hopeless. And Luke says, after days of horrible storm and darkness, we all gave up hope. It seemed like, well, this is the end. Anybody been in a boat on the big water, like in the ocean or like some really big body of water? Anybody? Anybody gotten seasick while out in, okay, like the same hands just kind of stayed up, right? Like, I mean, even on a beautiful day, the sea or the ocean can be really, I mean, it's a, it's a big, scary body of water. But now imagine being on the sea and after days and all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Verse 21, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me <laughs> and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. What, what is Paul saying here? <laughs> I told you so. Yet now I urge you, but it's not, it's not. The way Paul finishes this comment is he's not just sticking his finger in their face. Yet now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. I want to preach a sermon on just that phrase. I'm not going to. But brothers and sisters, may that be said of us. The God to whom I belong and to whom I worship. And he said, be not afraid, Paul. Everything in Paul's circumstances at the moment are terrifying. Be not afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told that we must run aground on some island, right? Usually in the movies, when there's a shipwreck, it's just one guy that survives and everyone else dies, right? My family just watched the movie Castaway recently, so I know this is in their, their brain right now, right? The one guy survived. Here, Paul is assured everybody's going to make it. It's not just you and Wilson, right? Everybody's going to make it. 
If you haven't seen the movie, sorry, you missed all those jokes. Uh, what verse was I in? 27? Okay. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took, out a, they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. This is still over 100 feet, the first um, 20 fathoms. And fearing that we might run uh, on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape the sh- from the ship, and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurions and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Did you catch what's going on here? The sailors are like, hey, we're just going to slip into the lifeboat here, and we're going to go let down these anchors. Under the pretense of being helpful, the sailors are slipping into the lifeboat kind of like, good luck, we'll see you later. We think we can navigate. I mean, they're the ones who know how to drive the boat. And Paul says, oh, hold on, you're not, leaving. you're not leaving us here. Unless you guys stay in this boat, you're not going to survive. Like, it, it's this vessel that will get us. Uh, you, you have to stay in the boat in order for us to be delivered safely. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. So the soldiers are like, we're going to make sure that the sailors don't leave us. And they cut the lifeboat and let the lifeboat go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. There were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land. They had been just blown by the wind into who knows where in the sea. They didn't know where they were. They noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudder, then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, the vessel ran aground, the bow stuck and remained immovable and the stern was being broken up by the surf, right? So you can picture this, right? The front of the boat stuck in the reef, the back of the boat's being smashed by the waves, it's being broken up. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners. Soldiers are responsible for prisoners and there's no way they're letting them escape lest anyone should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, right? Julius had grown so fond of Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on the planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. It's a cool story, isn't it? Father, help us to understand some of the incredible biblical truths that are contained for us in this passage. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you have been in 
actual physical storms where the weather was so severe that you were actually afraid. Like you were literally fearful, maybe not for your life, but maybe for your property, maybe for your life. We know that an actual storm, a weather storm, can be really terrifying. This morning's storm was a snowstorm. It's not necessarily life-threatening and terrifying. Obviously, the conditions on the road potentially could be. But there are a lot of things in life that we face that we kind of classify as storms. We call them the storms of life. And I think there are some applications that God actually wants us to make from a passage like this where we see a real physical storm that teaches us some truths about storms of life and weathering the storms of life. Pandemics and viruses can be storms in life, right? We could, we could argue that our world is going through a significant storm right now. You might be going through relational conflict right now that is a storm for your life. There might be financial worries that you have in your life right now that you would consider to be a storm in your life. Some may be, may be cha- uh, challenged right now with emotional, psychological kind of problems, issues, fears that you may have that you would consider to be storms in your life. These are all like storms. And here's the main point this morning. Jesus Christ is the Lord of the storm and your Savior in it. Jesus is the Lord of the storm and your Savior in that storm. And let me say that maybe even more pointedly and more directly. Jesus brings the storm and is the Savior for you in the storm he brought. Jesus is the Lord of the storm and your Savior in it. Let's look at three simple truths from this passage this morning. First of all, storms will come. And by the way, there there are probably a dozen other incredible truths and themes in this, in this chapter this morning that we're, we're just flying over. So many of the phrases that we read really are worthy of uh, direct and individual attention. We're gonna, we are going to uh, keep moving through this passage, though. First of all, storms will come, and there's different reasons why storms may come. As you think about storms in the Bible, um, the Bible actually makes it clear why certain storms are brought think about the storm that Jonah faced in a ship that he had gotten into. Why did God bring that, excuse me, why did God bring that storm to that ship? Yeah, because of disobedience, right? Because of Jonah's sin. Jonah's sin, and God starts chasing him with a storm. Now, that's, that was the why for that storm in Jonah's life. And brothers and sisters, there may be times where God brings a storm into your life and it's actually because of your sin. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a, in a moment. Think about the other guys in that same boat with Jonah. Why were they experiencing a storm? Right? Right? But like when we stop and think about it, they were experiencing a storm, a storm, because of someone else's 
sin, right? I, I mean, we, we would imagine that had Jonah not been on that boat, it very likely would have been smooth sailing for those sailors this morning. So friends, God brings storms into people's lives, and sometimes that storm is because of someone else's sin. There are times where storms come into someone's life, and from this passage here this morning, I think we could say that from from the human perspective, as we're looking at this passage, the storm is brought and it, it doesn't seem to be because of Paul's sin or the centurion's sin or um, um, Agrippa's sin. It, it seems as though this storm comes this morning, or to, to this, in this passage, because it's storm season. And because of the, the just bad choice foolishness of these men right so so there are times there are times when storms come into our lives your life just because you made the wrong decision right it, it's it was it's hurricane season and you went fishing in the gulf of mexico well it wasn't because you sinned it wasn't because someone else's sin it, you just made the wrong choice it was a foolish thing to do but what we can know is this that when storms come God is always the Lord of the storm, and He is always doing something. In every single one of the storms that we have mentioned already here this morning in the, in the Bible, and there's interesting, we're going to talk about it just briefly in just a moment, but think about throughout the story of the Bible, how many times people get in a boat and a storm comes and Jesus saves them. Noah and the ark. Jonah, the disciples, Paul here, right? Like th- this is not like a once in, there, there's, God's doing something in his word by this, the, through this theme of boats and storms and salvation. I'm going to allude to that a couple of times throughout the, this sermon here this morning. But here, here we see that God is, he's always doing something. I mean, again, think about his disciples in the boat and he's proving to them that he is the, the Lord of creation, he is the perfect man, he's the one who can calm the storm. He comes to his disciples and provides salvation for them uh, in that storm. And we, we actually do need to be thoughtful about storms in our own life. I do think we need to stop when we're experiencing a storm in life, and we do need to think, is this, is this just my own doing? Right? Am I having trouble at work because I lie, steal, and cheat at work? Right? That, that might be a reason why, right? Am I having conflict with my wife because I'm, I'm so bad to her and so mean to her and mistreat her so often? Like sometimes the storm that you're experiencing is, your own, uh, is of your own making, and, and we do need to stop and think about that. But brothers and sisters, I, I've heard friends of mine even sometimes think, what, you know, God, what am I doing wrong? I've, I've confessed every sin to you. I, I'm trying to walk before you. Why is this storm in my life? Assuming that there's just some hidden, unknown, unconfessed sin, and if I could just figure out what I'm doing wrong, then God would take the storm away. But remember that, that there are times where storms come into your life, and it's not because of you. God's not using it as a punitive judgment for you in that moment. But He is using it to sanctify you. 
there, there are times where storms come into our lives because of other people's sin. And it does make us, are we experiencing them because of the sins of others, right? Is a, is a wife experiencing hardship because of her husband's sin or, or vice versa? Or children experiencing hardship because of parents' sin or vice versa? Or coworkers experiencing hardship because of your sin or vice versa, right? We need to be mindful. We need to be thoughtful. But we do need to know this. That regardless of whose fault, what the reason is, God is always sanctifying me in the storm. When, when I counsel people, um, I often will look at them and say, I know exactly why God is, is doing this in your life. And sometimes they kind of look at me like, like how, really? You, you know? You can tell me with 100% certainty why God is doing this thing? Yeah, I can. He's doing it to make you more like Jesus. He is sanctifying you through the storm. It's what he's doing. It's what he's doing here with Paul. It's what he's doing here by, by putting his, he, we're getting ready to see through the salvation of these men that God is putting his display, uh, his power on display to a bunch of sailors, to a bunch of uh, soldiers, um, and a bunch of prisoners. So storms will come. And the second thing I want us to see this morning is this, that storms are scary. Look in verse 20 again. Verse 20 is one of those, if, if we weren't paying careful attention to the second half of verse 20, we might read just right past it. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. When you abandon hope, that means you had it and lost it. We had hoped that we would be able to be saved, that the storm would abate, that our boat would hold together, that we would be able to navigate our boat through the storm of life, whatever. We thought we'd make it. But finally, after so many days, so many hours of darkness and waves and wind and weather, finally, hope was abandoned. And I really do think that when verse 20 says, um, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned, I actually think in that moment, the writer of the book of Acts, Luke, was in the boat, and he himself came to a point where he realized, um, this is, we're done. This is our last voyage at sea. Storms, storms are scary. Some of you may remember some that we, we got kiddos in here, right? And I think sometimes, you know, we, we talk about when there's a big lightning storm or something and you see the kids, you know, go to their parents and run and get in bed with their parents or that sort of thing. And many of us may even remember doing that very thing as children. The panhandle of Texas has big storms sometimes, right? I'll be honest, the big, when I hear a tornado siren go off, I still get a little bit scared, a little bit nervous. Like, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like storms that are outside of my control that can kill me, right? If I'm in a nice brick house and it's lightning storm outside, I enjoy that kind of storm. But you know, if I'm if I'm outside without cover, or I'm in a you know a modular home when the tornado sirens go off, that's one of the reasons I'm thankful we've got a tornado shelter um, that that um, that we had installed. I don't know six or eight years ago. It wouldn't have been eight years ago. Six years ago. Shortly after we got <laughs> we shortly after we moved to Dalhart, one of the requests I had of the deacons at the time is, can we put a tornado shelter in over here? I just would really like that because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of storms. We've just finished uh, hurricane season, right? And we watched in the news how hurricanes have destroyed uh, and killed people. 
life dishes out scary stuff. And whether it's actual physical weather storms that scare you or just the other things in life that scare you, a lot of us, and we're adults, so we're good at kind of keeping uh, uh, an adult face on it, but if, if I sat down with you uh, and you just got really open and honest with me, I think we'd find that m- most, probably every single person in the room is scared of something. A friend of mine used to say, everyone's two questions away from crying. Just the right two questions, right? If I, get, if I ask you the right two questions, you'd be in tears. We have insecurities, we have fears, we have anxieties, right? Some people struggle with this more than other people do. But we live in a broken world. We live in a world where there's scary things that happen, where there are viruses that float through the air and kill people. That's, that's scary, right? We, we live in a world where relationships start to fracture and start to get broken, and husbands and wives wonder, are we going to be able to work this out? And that's scary. Children get older and start to make their own choices and their own decisions, and we start to wonder, do they really love God, and are they going to follow Him? And that's a scary thing. Life dishes out scary stuff. And in verse 20, all hope of being saved was lost. And there are some who are listening to this, watching this, this morning, and you're there. Maybe not like all of life is hopeless and I might as well end my life, though some people do get to that occasionally. And I want to encourage you, look, if, if you are struggling with that level of hopelessness, please find a friend. Please come and talk with someone. More people struggle with that level of depression and hopelessness than, than most of you would ever realize, than, than many of you would ever realize. Or maybe I should say it this way. More of you struggle with that than you realize. Where you get to a place and you think, it would actually be easier for me to end it. It wouldn't really affect too many people. Life would be easier for me. Life would be easier for them. And there might be a handful of you out here who think, really? People think that? Yes. A lot of people get to the place where the storm in their life causes all hope of being saved to be abandoned. And I just want to encourage you, you're not alone. If you feel that way, you're not alone. But that's not the solution. That's not the, that's not the answer. Storms are scary. And, and this, is, this is a boat full of tough guys. Right? This isn't a bunch of snowflake, me generation kids. Right? Like, you got soldiers, you got sailors, and you've got criminals. Arguably, three groups of tough dudes during you know, this time in history. And the, the group of them collectively come to a place where all hope is lost. Some of you are tough guys. You're tough people, tough men and women, even for women. I mean, Texan women, I mean, this is kind of like you just don't mess with Texas, men or women or kids. Any, we're all, you know, a bunch of tough people. But you get to a place where all hope of being saved is abandoned. And listen, what I'm getting ready to say next is incredibly important. That's exactly where God wants you. You don't know you need to be saved until you know you can't do it. Otherwise, you just keep working. And we're good at working. It's one thing we're good at around here. We can work. We can get her done. We'll stay, get up early, stay up late, you know, take the gloves off and just get it, get it done ourselves. And, and this boat was full of guys who could get things done. 
right? Criminals could get criminal activity done, and soldiers and sailors could get their respective occupations done. They, this is a group of people who could get things done. And God brought them to a place where all hope was abandoned. And brothers and sisters, God may be bringing you to a place where all hope of you solving your problem, you realize, I ain't got this. It's not good. I got English teachers in the room. I shouldn't use the word ain't. I don't have this. I don't got this. See, that's better. English teachers are happy now. Storms are scary, and God uses them to put us right where he wants us. And point number three. Storms convince you that you need to be saved. Storms actually convince you that you need to be saved. We see it here in this passage, and we many have experienced it here in this life, but salvation is going to come, but this group of men have to first realize, and, and there may be men and women, it's a large group of people here, this group on the boat, have to come to a place where they realize that they need salvation to come from outside of themselves. And the Savior comes to them. The Savior comes directly to Paul and speaks to Paul and says, no one's going to be lost. Everyone's going to be okay. And Paul does some things practically, and God does some things spiritually to save these people. I find it fascinating that Paul speaks hope to to the people that he's interacting with, And he also gives practical instruction, right? So he speaks hope and he says, listen, um, the God whom I serve, the God whose I am and the God who I serve has come to me and he has told me that we are all going to be saved. And he speaks truth to them, that the God, um, that the the God of the Bible, the God whom he serves is going to save them. He's he's pointing them to away from himself, and he's pointing them to the Savior. He's speaking the truth to them. But what does he tell them to do practically? And I don't think we should skip over this. Practically speaking, what does he tell them to do? Or maybe I should say physically. Eat. And I I, I actually think there's some value for us in that. And just the, the broad principle being Sometimes you are really discouraged and really having trouble, and your problem is spiritual and physical. God made us a combination. We are um, embodied spirits, embodied spirits. The spirit that God breathes into us is breathed into a flesh and blood thing. We are in bodies which is what embodied means. We are embodied spirits. And so the spirit can affect the physical, and the physical can can affect the spiritual. And Paul is breathing spiritual encouragement to them, and he's also saying now, at the same time, we've been on this boat, and many of you have been fasting in order to appease whatever God that you're serving, or you've been just too scared to eat or too sick to eat, you know. And he's saying, look, I want you to take some food. It's been a long time, and I want you to take some food. And it describes that when they take the food that they're actually encouraged. And a lot of us on a daily basis know what that feels like, right? It's a shame that my family knows the phrase, like, dad's hangry. Unfortunately, that's reality, right? But you give me a good meal, and okay, all right. I'm, I'm just, I was really discouraged prior to eating all that, but man, I just feel better now. Life, you know, maybe we can work our way through this. And I think a lot of us know that experience. I think there is some some truth and not not just to eating but taking care of ourselves physically would be the broader principle there. Take care of yourself physically and it will actually help you think and 
and, um, uh, and find hope. Okay, so this is what Paul is doing. He is, he's, he's speaking encouragement to them. The God whom I, whose I am and whom I serve, he has, he has given me a word, and he is going to save everyone in this boat. Stay in the boat. Don't get in the life boat and sneak off. Stay in the boat. Salvation comes to us in the boat. Where did, where did salvation come to Noah and his family? Yeah, in, in the boat. Where did God come to his disciples? In the boat, right? God sent a whale to Jonah. Jonah actually jumped out of the boat. But the idea is salvation's coming to those of us who are in a storm. And so what, do, what does Paul and these men, what, what do they and we need to do when, when we're in the storm and we've lost all hope and we realize that we need someone to save us? First, first you need to realize that you need to trust you need to trust someone else. Again, we live in a pull yourself up by the bootstraps, I can get her done, leave it to me kind of culture and kind of community. And salvation comes when we realize I've got nothing and I need to be rescued. There's a phrase from a song, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. I'm not coming bringing 60% of the success and Jesus, I just need you to fill in just the last little bit, right? Like I've got this project and I, I'm building a house and I've almost got it done, but I need you to come in and do the electrical work. I've basically got it done, but I need you to help me finish it. You aren't the savior. You're the one who needs to be saved. You're not drowning and, and need a lifeline. You're dead at the bottom of the ocean. You're the captive. You're the poor one who could never afford the price um, that, that needs to be paid. These kinds of themes are throughout Scripture. The water is dangerous and out of control, but God has a plan to save. And God came to Noah, and God came to the disciples, and God is coming to Paul in a vision. And he's, he's showing that he himself is the only one who can save. And he's looking to save individuals. And I think there's even a principle for us here in the fact that everything else is lost. And it's just human lives that are washed up on shore and are saved. The boat doesn't make it. The cargo doesn't make it. The tackle gets thrown over. The anchors get thrown over. Everything is lost except these, except these souls. And Jesus is out to save souls. And so the storm convincing you that you need to be saved, the way that salvation comes is by trusting in someone else. It is not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Your faith and trust, brothers and sisters, in the storms of life, first of all, in the storm of being lost and needing to be saved, comes through Jesus Christ. But those of us, even those of us who do know Christ as our Savior, and we, we experience storms in life, and we want to look to so many other things, our own wisdom, our own finances, our own strength, our own experience, friends, right? We reach out to people on Facebook. We reach out like there's so many other ways that we're tempted to look for a Savior. And God wants us to trust not in ourselves, but in Him. And not only are we to trust someone else, but brothers and sisters, we are to trust no one else. You might think that's what you just said. Let me see if I can make a slight nuanced difference here, right? Trusting someone else 
and trusting no one else, trusting nothing else. This is total abandon. And this is where I'm getting, this is what I'm trying to get at when I say we're throwing, we're throwing the, uh, the cargo overboard. We've, we've cut the life raft go. We've cut the anchors go. We've, like, we've thrown the tackle overboard. Like it's, we're not trusting in anything else. Paul, you said that your God was going to save us. We're getting rid of every other parachute. We're getting rid of every other lifeboat. Like we really are putting all of our eggs in the basket of your God saving us now. That's what God wants from you, brother and sister. You've got to come to the end of thinking that you can save yourself or that you can mostly save yourself or that you can kind of save yourself. You're never at any point going to be impressive and that's what we're just so dead. Like, it started when we were eight years old on the playground, and it's gone with us ever since. We want to be impressive. We want to be good at something. We want people to, we want in some way to prove ourselves worthy in some way, shape, or form. And we live our lives so incredibly insecure. <clears throat> Jesus wants to be everything for us. That's why Paul says, um, if I'm going to boast, I will boast in my weakness. doesn't make sense unless we understand that Jesus is the Savior, and I do have him to, to boast in. You've got to come to the end of your thinking that you've basically got it and might need Jesus for a little bit, the part that you couldn't cover yourself. I love the hymn. Oh, I can't think of the name of the hymn. My hope is built on nothing less than is that the solid rock, solid rock. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And then the next phrase, I wholly lean on Jesus' name. And holy means not like, like God is holy and I'm not. It means I completely, I totally, I wholly, complete, with, with the wholeness of me, I lean on Jesus' name. I wholly lean on Jesus' name. Friend, are you completely and wholly looking to Jesus to be the Savior in the storm of your life? Storms will come. They might be your fault. They might be someone else's fault. They might just be the reality that, look, it's storm season, and you took your boat into the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. But God's not going to waste that storm. He is the Lord of the storm. He is the Lord of the storm. And when you come to the place in that storm where you are finding yourself that all hope is lost. I've abandoned all hope. I've, I'm realizing I don't have the smarts to solve this. The problem, whatever your problem is, right? Think of your problem right now. It's easy. I, I like to think of other people's problems. Think of your problem right now. That problem that you just think, man, this, this is the storm, right? If I was honest with Jeremy or if I was open with my friend, I, this is the storm that I would, I'm not going to tell them, but if I were going to, this is the storm that I know that I'm facing right now. Friend, the quicker you get to, I cannot solve this. I don't have the resources. I'm not smart enough, wise enough, wealthy enough, capable enough to solve this. The quicker you will get to the reality that God has come to you to be the Savior of you in that storm. Trust not in you, trust in Him, and trust in no one and no, th no, no thing else. Jesus is the Lord of all the storms of life, and Jesus is the Savior of the storm. 
And if you've never trusted in Christ to be your Savior from your greatest storm, the storm of your lostness and being unrighteous and separated from Him because of your sin, then turn from your sins and trust in Him as your Savior. That's, that's how salvation has come to you. And this is what we're celebrating. We read it when I read to the kids this morning, and Matt mentioned it in his prayer this morning. Emmanuel, has, God has come to us. God came to Paul. God came to Noah. God came to Jonah. Brothers and sisters, God has come to us, and that's what we're celebrating this time of year. So maybe this is a, a little bit of a Christmas sermon after all. Jesus has come to us to be our Savior. Storms will come. Jesus is the Lord of the storm and your Savior in it. If you bow your heads and close your eyes, I'm going to ask Paula to come to the piano. We're actually going to celebrate the Lord's table together this morning. Uh, but for just a moment, if I'm going to give you a moment. I'm going to ask Paula to go ahead and play uh, just through a verse while you have a moment to pray. And if there's sin in your life, unrepented of, sin that you know that you're holding on to and you need to get right with God, then, then right now just ask God to forgive you and to give you grace and to, and to help you. You take a moment there, and I'm going to give you some time to pray and do business with the Lord before we celebrate the Lord's Supper together.